Hey church, I am so excited to be with you today. Uh, I'm currently in quarantine, but next Sunday I'm going to be back physically with you and we're going to be starting a brand new sermon series on the book of Philippians uh, over the next seven weeks. We're going to be diving into that book, uh, unpacking a little bit about what it means to live as a Christian uh, in society and community. So that's from next Sunday. Really excited to be with you then. But today I'm actually carrying in my spirit a message for us as a church, something that I think is actually really critical for how many of us are feeling in this current season. It's actually a, a word I brought to our staff a, a few months ago, um, but I felt like it was, it was for a broader community than just our team, and so I wanted to bring it to all of us uh, together today. Um, and really, if you're feeling at all like in this current season, you're feeling a bit drained, uh, you're feeling a little bit tired, uh, maybe you felt like you've been pressing into something and it hasn't worked out or hasn't come through, or maybe just all the stuff with COVID is just draining you, you're feeling empty, uh, then that's what's on my heart today. I want to speak into all of us uh, in the areas of our tiredness uh, and, and bring something that I believe will be a help to you uh, in this time. I want to read from uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, and I'm going to focus on the first seven verses. So uh, let me read this to us. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, well, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask them for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all of the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There are no more jars left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Father, as we just lean into this word together today as a congregation, I, I want to pray right now that your anointing would come and fall on us. Lord, we are hungry, not just for your word, but for your presence. Lord, we're hungry for you to meet us in the places that we're feeling right now, in our emptiness, in our tiredness, in the stuff that is going on, Lord. We come to you in need of your filling. Uh, would you open up this word to us by your power and your spirit? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone says, Amen. On February 16th, uh, 2007, uh, I was told by a doctor that I am infertile. Now, this is a story that I've shared many times with us at The Vine, and so I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail about it today. In fact, I actually want to share something of that story that I've not actually shared before. Uh, my wife and I, we'd been trying for children for about two years, and then we had entered into about a year's worth of tests and procedures and all of that stuff that culminated on that day with the doctors telling me that I was infertile, that I'd never be able to biologically father a child. And you can imagine all the emotions that that brought for me. You can imagine how devastating that was. My wife and I had had all these plans for the biological children that we were going to have, as you do when you get married. And, 
And so it was an incredibly difficult time. It was also a difficult time with my relationship with Jesus. I felt like God had given me a real passion to build a family uh, and then had created me in such a way that I was never going to be able to biologically do that. And I couldn't reconcile that tension. And so I was sitting in all of that uh, in the midst of this communication to me um, that I was infertile. Well, uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, I felt a stirring by the Holy Spirit to actually lean in and to pray and to believe for a miracle. The only way that my wife and I were going to be able to have kids is if God intervened with a miracle. And that was really sitting on our heart. And it was something that we believed in and believed for. And and so I did a a little bit of a radical thing. Uh, I gathered up a whole group of my friends, uh, both those. uh, We were in New Zealand at the time. So I reached out to friends here in Hong Kong, uh, as well as those that were in Bible college with us in New Zealand. Um, and, and I said, and look, we're going to fast and we're going to pray for 30 days. And I encouraged everybody just individually on their own to take, whether it was five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes every day, fast a meal and pray for a miracle in my life. And it was something that I was committed to doing 30 days, really excited about. And I remember day one, I I set aside the time. I I sat in this little chair in the room that Chris and I were renting at the time. It was a small little room, but I I sat in that chair and I I just opened up my heart to God and began to think about what it is that I could pray for. And God in that moment came and spoke directly to my spirit. And he said this, he says, what is it that you have to bring me today? What is it that you have to bring me today? Today, I felt like God was encouraging me to bring him something. And so as I sat there, I thought about, well, well, I'm filled with faith for this miracle. I'm filled with all the things that I I have on my heart for what God wants to do next. I'm excited about how God wants to build a family. I believe that you can actually bring a miracle in my life. And so the things that that I brought to him in that first day of prayer was just all of my excitement, all of my passion, all of that faith I had inside of me to believe that God could come through and do this crazy miracle and change me physically so I could have children. And, And I remember actually that first day I prayed for about an hour and it was so passionate, so full of life, so full of hope, so full of faith. Day two comes and I'm sitting there in that same chair and once again straight away God says the same thing to me. What is it that you have to bring me today? And and so once again, I was like, well, the the faith that I've got, the the belief that I know that you heal, the stories that I've read in your scriptures and how I believe that those things can happen today. And and I leaned in again and prayed and prayed. Day three, same question. What is it that you can bring me? God, I'm going to bring you all of this stuff, all of this faith. Day four, five, six, the same question kept coming. By about day five or six, I was like, oh, okay, God, I'm bringing you the same stuff that I brought you yesterday, you know, all that stuff that I've already prayed, but hey, you've asked again, all right, here it is. Here's all that faith. Here's all the things I'm believing. And I felt like I was beginning to kind of repeat myself a little bit. By about day eight or nine, I was beginning to get stressed the night before my prayer time, thinking like, God's going to ask me tomorrow, what is it that I'm bringing? And I'm going to have to come up with something new, something fresh. Like, what am I going to say to God tomorrow about what I'm bringing him? Well, by day 15, I was really getting myself in a place where I was just feeling like this was kind of strange. Every time I sat down to pray, God was asking me, what is it that I am bringing him? So day 16 comes and I sit there in that chair. And by this point, you know, to be honest with you, I felt like I didn't really have anything more. In fact, I felt like I didn't have anything left. In in fact, all the emotions that I've been carrying over the last three or four weeks since I was told that I was infertile were sitting present with me. And unlike day one, where I felt like I had all that faith, by day 16, I felt like I, I had nothing. 
I felt like I was emptied of all of that passion, all of that excitement. And actually the honesty of my emotions came to me. That feeling of, of being a bit angry with God, of being frustrated with Him. Uh, the feeling that, that I didn't actually have a faith for a miracle, the embarrassment of that, but the honesty of that was probably the reality. Like, I, I don't know if God could actually physically change me. And so as I sat there on day 16, and as I began to pray, that inevitable question from God came, what is it that you have to bring me today? And for the first time in those 16 days, I think I actually answered honestly to God. And I basically said, God, I don't think I've got anything. I don't think I'm really bringing to you today any hope, any faith. In fact, I'm bringing anger. I'm bringing tiredness. I'm bringing confusion. I feel like literally I've got nothing. And so I I came before God and I said, literally, God, today I, I have nothing. And then God responded in a way that, you know, like how sometimes God speaks and he doesn't tell you kind of what you what you want to hear, but kind of what you need to hear. You know, those moments where where God is kind of blunt with you and it's kind of like a life changing thing, even if it's not exactly what you were hoping to hear. Well, God kind of just comes to me very closely, very intimately and presently. I could feel his presence very strongly on me in that moment as I was sitting there on that chair. And I just said to him, I had nothing for him. And he comes and he speaks into my soul and he says this. He says, good, because now we can begin. Now, Andrew, we can begin. We can begin the process of my transformation of your life. We can bring and begin that process of your healing and restoration. You've got nothing. Well, then you're at a place where I can come and begin to work. And I recognized that there was a nakedness that I was bringing to him, a vulnerability, an honesty that cut through all of the fake stuff that I was trying to give God. And instead, I was just saying, this is who I am, hurting, broken, vulnerable, and nothing. And that, for God, was the moment where he felt like he could actually begin to rebuild my life. You know, the story that I just read to us of this woman coming before Elisha, she's in the same kind of place. She's at the end of her rope. The first verse tells us a couple of things about her. She's a widow. Her husband's just recently passed away. And in those days and in that time, uh, being a widow was actually a really hard, rough, tough thing. It wasn't an easy thing to do. Being a widow is actually the lowest form of kind of social hierarchy. So she had that already against herself. But we then learned some other things that her husband, who's just passed away, was actually a member of Elisha's band of prophets. He was serving and helping Elisha in his prophetic ministry, which tells us that he wasn't an industry person. He wasn't earning a lot of money. He was actually working and serving Elisha. Therefore, he was surviving off of the donations and the generosity of the community of faith around him. And we know actually that he didn't have a lot of money and it was difficult for him to provide for his family in that role because the woman then tells us that her creditors, the creditors of her family, those that had lent the family money because her husband had been serving Elisha, they were now knocking on her door demanding payment because he's passed away. And she's coming to Elisha, essentially her husband's boss, and saying, how are you going to fix this situation? I mean, we've got nothing now. How are you going to come and change this situation? 
And she says, if, if I can't do something here, the creditors are going to come and take my two sons, which actually was the legal thing that they could do in those days. If the family couldn't pay financially for that debt, they could come and take children and have those children work for them to pay off that debt over time. And as she says, she says, they want to come and make my sons slaves. Now, as a widow, having sons was her only possibility of a future life. And so she's in the most desperate, difficult situation. And so she comes to Elisha and she says, what are you going to do to help fix this? I want to show you how Elisha responds here in verse 2. He says this, Elisha replies to her, well, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? I love this question. I think it's such a beautiful and important question. The first thing he says to her is, what, what is it that you actually have in your house? To me, this is the same question that God was asking me on all of those days of that prayer and fasting. Andrew, what is it that you're bringing to me today? What is it that you have? And I think Elisha is trying to zero in on her honesty. He's trying to find out exactly where she is. Is she aware of her situation? And is she willing before Elisha to be fully honest and true and vulnerable and naked and transparent before him in her answer? And, and here's the thing in this message. I feel today this is significant. I think God is coming to many people who are listening to this right now. And God is coming to you and he's asking you that same question on this Sunday. He's saying, hey, what is actually in your house today? What is it that you're bringing into this place of worship? What is it that you're bringing in your relationship with me? I feel like God is leaning into some of us today and he's asking that question personally, honestly, and he's looking for you to give an honest answer. And there's many of us that are sitting here listening to that, thinking to ourselves, well, I'm not exactly sure that I have much at all. I'm not exactly sure that in this season of my life that I have anything of worth to bring God. I, I kind of come to church today. I'm in this environment with people. I, I'm singing the songs. I'm seeing what's going on. But personally, deep down inside, I don't think there's anything left in the house. You know, in my soul, in my emotions, in who I am, I'm completely dry and drained. Notice how uh, she responds here on the second part of the verse. She says, your servant has nothing there at all except a little oil. She's honest with him right up front. She says, you know what? My, my house is empty. I, I, I got nothing left. There, there's nothing here that I have to offer you, Elisha. I've got no way of paying you. I've got no way of getting myself out of this situation. Like, like there's nothing I have. And then she goes, except I, I have a little bit of oil left. She's talking about olive oil. Uh, the kind of oil that was used to help in some cooking as well as some medicines in those days. She says, I've got a little bit of this oil left. Now, now the mention of the oil here opens up two avenues of, of layers of meaning in this story. On the one side, this story becomes a story of social justice. It becomes the story of Elisha taking that little oil, multiplying it so that she can pay off her creditors and that her sons won't go into slavery and that there is liberation for her and her family from that debt so she can live a good life. That's a social justice element to this story. And it's a powerful story about how God comes and provides for those that are in need. That's a, that's a beautiful layer to the story. But when oil is mentioned in the scripture, we also have to realize that there's always a second layer of meaning, something that goes beyond, beyond the surface level and takes us a little bit deeper. Oil in the Old Testament always was a reference to the anointing of God, 
to God's presence and his anointing and his authority on people. When kings came into authority, oil would be poured on their head as a symbol of God's acceptance and anointing of them. Prophets uh, and those that served the prophets, people like, Eli uh, um, people like this woman's husband who worked for Elisha, they also would have been poured with oil to signify to the community around them that God is anointing them for service. We see this actually happening in the New Testament. Remember that moment where the woman comes whilst Jesus is reclining at the table of a Pharisee and she breaks open that perfume and pours it on his feet. Again, a symbol of honor, a symbol of anointing, a symbol of preparing him for the work that he had to do. So whenever we read in scripture about oil and about uh, this kind of idea of oil flowing, it links us to this deeper meaning of God's anointing. So this story has something to say about God's heart for social justice, absolutely, but it's also also got something to say about God's anointing upon his people, about how God wants to pour out his power and his love and his grace and his spirit on people. And I want us to keep both layers of meaning in our minds as we go through this passage together. Now, I want you to see what the woman says here. It's powerful. She says, except for this little bit of oil. You see, she offers to Elisha the one thing that's left, just a little bit of oil. And I think this is actually super encouraging for us as we're listening to this. Because no matter how drained you might feel, no matter how tired you might be, no matter how it might feel like you're at the end of your rope, that there's no hope for you. If you're a Christian listening to this, you are never completely without oil because oil symbolizes the spirit of God. And we know that the Bible tells us that when we come to Christ, when he's our Lord and savior, his spirit comes and sits in us. It dwells in us. It comes upon us. Paul would write that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now is in us. If you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, no matter how tired, exhausted, no matter how distant you might feel from him, you have a little bit of oil still in you. There is the presence of God. His spirit never departs us. It never leaves us. And I think that's encouraging for some of you listening to this because you're feeling like you're a long way from God. You're feeling like things have really stacked up against you. You're feeling completely drained and empty and strong. Scripture would say, no matter how empty you feel, you're not completely empty. There is still always His Spirit in you. And His Spirit is like a deposit for the work that He wants to do in your life. You see, the woman goes to Elisha and she says, all I've got is this little bit of oil. If you see the amount of, of nothingness around me, it's overwhelming. I, I've just got this little bit of oil in comparison. See, Elisha doesn't see the oil as little. He's not overwhelmed by the nothingness around her. Instead, he sees the oil differently. He looks at the oil and what he sees is a deposit for the miracle that was about to take place. The oil was a significant deposit for everything that was about to happen in the rest of this story. And some of you need to hear that this morning, that no matter how tired you are, if you're a Christian, the Spirit of God is in you and it's a deposit for the work that he longs to do, for the anointing that he longs to bring, for the hope that he wants to refill in your life, for the season that is ahead of you. You are never without oil. Are you hearing this, church? You're never without the presence of God if you are a Christian, if you've given him your heart and your life. And I think this deposit becomes the thing that next gets used for everything that God wants to do. And I think for some of us in this room, what, what the invitation is right now is to bring a prayer to God. And the prayer is literally this. God, in this season of my life right now, 
I have nothing. In this season of my life right now, I actually have nothing except for a little bit of oil. Would you come? That prophetic statement that there is still the Spirit of God in me, no matter how hard these things might be, no matter how difficult it is, that there's still that Spirit of God in me, just that prayer opens the door for an incredible work of the Spirit of God in your life. And some of you, that's a prayer, simple, that you need to make today that I think will actually shift everything that's going to happen next. And I want to show you what actually happens next for this lady. Let's pick it up in verse 3. Elisha says to her, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you, you and your sons, and put all those jars to one side. Pour oil into the jars, each as they are filled, and then put them to one side. So she left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. It's fascinating what Elisha does here. He says to her, okay, we're going to work together with that little bit of oil. Your oil that you bring and God's work of the miracle partner together to do something significant. And he essentially tells her two things. First of all, I want you to go into your community around you. He says, go into the village, into the town, to your neighbors and ask them to give you empty jars. Now, this is significant because what he wants her to realize is that although she feels like she's completely isolated and completely alone, she's not without community. That, that no matter how isolated she might have been feeling because her husband is gone and she, she thinks her sons are going to be taken by creditors, she's actually planted in a whole community around her that actually can help her to get to the next step of her life. This is like God basically saying that we always, whenever we're feeling like drained and exhausted, we always are not without hope because we have communities, place community around us. And so often when we're feeling alone, we isolate ourselves from that community. But, but Elisha is very specific to this woman. Go to your neighbors and ask them to help you. Ask them to give you those empty jars and then bring them in. So, so for some of you watching this, if this is a season of difficulty for you, just be really careful not to isolate yourself from your community. Like Elisha inspires this woman to reach out to her neighbors, I, I want to inspire you today to reach out to the neighbors around you, to this community of faith, the people sitting around you right now, your community group that you might be a part of, or if you're not a part of a community group, a pastor or somebody in this church that can come around you today and help speak life into you. You are not without community. You're a part of the body of Christ. The church of Christ is a place of great abundance for you. And that's a, that's a word of encouragement and a word of hope. So first of all, Elisha says, realize that you're in this community and that community can help you. The second thing he says, though, interestingly, is then he says, go behind closed doors, shut those doors off uh, so that you and your sons are in private and then begin to pour that oil in those empty jars. This is Elisha basically saying, yes, number one, your support is found in your community, but there's also the support and the miracle of God that is found in your private obedience in your relationship with him. Elisha says, go in, close those doors so no one sees, and then do this in faith and obedience. And so when we find ourselves in places of being a little bit burnt out, a little bit tired, a little bit drained, not only is it the community that we can reach into, 
It's also our own private devotional relationship with Jesus. The stuff that happens behind closed doors is as important. The stuff that happens that no one sees, those prayers that take place that no one's aware of, the way that we come and be obedient to God in the quiet place, the private place, those places are also filled with the hope of God. Those places are also where the miracles of God take place. So there's this balance, and I love how Elisha shows us this, the balance of reaching out to community, but also taking responsibility in the privacy of our relationship with God. And it's in both of these that we begin to move forward in the miracles he has for us. See, there is the community, the public community of faith, but there's also the private community of our relationship with Jesus. And those two things, when we lean into them, actually open us up to the great work that he wants to do in us. And let's, let's see what happens with that work as we carry on in verse 6. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. The end part here is actually super critical to everything that we've been saying. There's a situation here where the empty jars are now all full. There's no more empty jars. And and the scriptures say here that the oil stopped flowing. Once the jars were full and there was no more empty jar to bring, that oil stopped flowing. And it says that then she comes to the man of God and tells him this. But, But the question actually the text doesn't help us with is what does she actually tell him? Does she tell him, I've got no more empty jars? Or does she tell him that the oil stopped flowing? And it's really important that we understand this because if she says the oil stops flowing, then, then from her perspective, it's God's problem, not hers. It's like, like God, God has stopped the anointing. The anointing's not flowing. The oil's not coming anymore. Or did she go to him and say, hey, these jars, there's no more empty jars. And because there's no more empty jars, I, the oil has stopped actually flowing. Well, in the English, we don't know what she says. But in the Hebrew, it actually links it to the first part of that. She actually comes to Elisha and she says, guess what, Elisha? There's no more empty jars. You see, the woman's made the connection between the jars and the anointing. She's made the connection between the emptiness and the flow of God. And that connection is super important because she understands that when there's nothing that is empty anymore to bring, there's no more oil that's going to flow. See, she understands that actually something's critical about God's presence. Something's critical about the anointing of God in us. That God loves to bring his anointing and to fill the things that are actually empty. She understands something that I I, want to speak over every single person here. She understands this, that, uh, you know, our emptiness is the gateway to the anointing of God. Our emptiness is the gateway to God's anointing. And then that seems almost counterintuitive to what we think about the anointing of God. You see, so often as Christians, we link the anointing of God to what we do well, to the good things that we have, to our gifts and our talents and the stuff that we do well. We think God's anointing comes on us when we're actually operating in our talents and all the things that seem to come easy to us. That's often when we say, oh, yeah, the the anointing was on me. And, And now, of course, God does use our gifts and our talents and our strengths and all that good stuff. But actually, what we're learning from the scripture here is that God longs to bring his anointing. He longs to fill the things that are empty. And and sometimes we're so full of ourselves that we have no room for the anointing of God. Sometimes we're so proud of the gifts and the talents that we bring that we have no need to pray and ask God to, to anoint us. Sometimes, actually, it's in the desperation moments 
that we actually come to God honestly and say, I, I, I've got nothing. And God then rolls up his sleeve, leans forward to us and says, good. So now we can begin. And this is, this is what's happening here in this story. As there's no more empty jars, the oil stops flowing. God loves to pour out His oil and His love and His power and majesty into the things that are desperate, the things that are empty. And so your emptiness today, the thing that you're struggling with, the fact that you're feeling drained and tired, God understands exactly where you're at. He knows how you're feeling. He knows how difficult this time has been. He's seen all the stuff that's happened with COVID, all the stuff that's happened in our workplaces, all the tensions that have been in our relationships, the fact that many of us have not been able to travel to go home and see family and how all of this stuff is beginning to add stress and anxiety on our lives. So many of us are feeling like, oh, this is just all too much. God sees that. And what he sees is what Elisha saw. He sees that there's a little bit of oil and a lot of emptiness and he he gets the joy of pouring himself out on those that come and say, I've got nothing to bring, but I need you. And I wonder as you're listening to this, whether that resonates with you today, whether like this woman, you're able to make that connection that our emptiness is not a negative thing, that actually our emptiness opens ourselves up to the gateway of the anointing of God. Here's an amazing thing that science teaches us. It's only empty things that can be filled. Come on, church, only empty things that can actually be filled. And if you're feeling empty today, I believe you are primed for a visitation of the anointing of God. You're primed for the presence of God to come. When I sat there on that chair on day 16 and I said to God, I've got nothing, he said, now we can begin. As the woman comes to Elisha and says, I got nothing except this oil, he says to her, well, now God can begin. And as you're listening to this, maybe your honest prayer and cry is, I just don't have it anymore. I just can't stir up the, the faith anymore. I just can't get the energy I used to have. I'm just feeling like everything has worn me down and worn me out. You are primed for the presence of God to come. If you come to him and just say, I am in need today, God's anointing will flow. I sense what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as a church is this. Bring me the empty jars. Bring me the empty jars. He wants to come today and fill you with new hope. And perhaps your response today is just to say, I'm, I'm that empty jar. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the one today. I'm the one who's exhausted and drained and empty and in need of God. And, and maybe it's simply you responding today to say, come, God, come. I don't have anything to offer, but I know your spirit is still inside of me. I'm feeling like I'm really drained and tired, but I do know that that deposit is in me because I believe that you are my Lord and Savior. And so as an empty jar, you come today and God's presence and his spirit can flow and speak and encourage and move on you. And I think as we do this as a church, as we're honest with him in this season that we're in, uh, we can be excited about the reality that his anointing will touch us and fill us. So if this is speaking to you, I want to speak and pray this over you. And so here's what I want to do. I want to invite everyone to stand right now in this moment, just across the service. Why don't we all stand together? The team's going to come uh, and they're going to be with us as they begin to provide a bit of worship in the background. But I want to now come and just lean into this ministry moment with us together.
You see, you're an empty jar, uh, but God's excited. He's leaning into you with that gentleness and that love. And he's saying, it's okay, because now we can begin. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in this moment. We come as honest people before you. And as we stand before you now here, we pray that, Lord, the story of this woman would inspire us. That, Lord, you encourage her to connect with her community. Lord, some people here today, that's going to be their journey too. That you've provided a great community around them that they're not accessing and not using. And that perhaps today you're challenging them to reach out beyond just themselves. Lord, you also showed this woman that importance of the privacy of her obedience with you. Perhaps for some people listening to this, that's an important word for them too. That maybe they've allowed that obedience of their relationship with you, that trust and faith of you. Maybe that's been drained from them in this time. And maybe they're being encouraged today just to re-emphasize and refocus on their private relationship with you, that community with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. But most of all, Lord, you're saying to us as a church, bring me the empty jars. And Lord, I believe that there are many people standing right now that would resonate with that. And so as we're standing together, our eyes are closed. Everybody's just in this moment of ministry. If that's speaking to you, I want to encourage you just to open your hands right now, just across this service for those watching online as well. Just open up your hands before the Lord. It's a simple way of just gesturing openness, vulnerability, and need. And so, Father, as our hands are open before you across this room, uh, Lord, we do so because we resonate with this idea that you fill empty things, that you come and you flow. And Lord, we are feeling in a place of emptiness. Lord, we're feeling in a place of need. So Lord, I pray for every person right now whose hands are open before you, every person who is leaning into this moment. Lord, would you come and begin a new work, a fresh work? Would your Holy Spirit begin to flow? Would you begin to meet people wherever it is that they need to be met? Lord, would you bring that encouragement that you will fill them with your love, fill them with your hope, fill them with your strength? Lord, I pray that authority would come. Lord, your anointing of oil always symbolizes an authority. I pray for those that need that sense of your authority in their lives, that as they stand with their hands open before you, you would come and do that also in this moment. So Holy Spirit, flow, we pray. And Lord, as you fill the empty jars, Lord. We pray that we would be able to keep bringing these jars to you. Lord, that on a daily basis, we would be honest with you. On a daily basis, we'd bring our struggles and our strife and our challenges and our pain and our hurt, our anger, the stuff that we're feeling in this season. That this wouldn't be a one-off moment in this service right now, but we would have a lifestyle of remembering the story of this woman, connecting to community, having that privacy of our faith with you, but also bringing our emptiness. Like day 16 for me, I've got nothing in my house, Lord, except a little bit of oil. Lord, I pray that that would inspire and encourage us as a church in this season. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. I encourage you to continue just to lean in to what the ministry of God is doing in this moment as the team comes and does worship.